Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. spring open call is open through March 28th. Submit your work at playinspiregallery.com slash open call. We would love to see your work. Our featured artist this week is Cameron Scott. Cameron is a sculptor from Scotland carving in wood, creating relief wall-mounted stories around his life. His work draws from the places he's been, Kintour, Aberdeenshire, Scotland, his home village, his time in Italy, his recent move to southwest England, memories of his childhood, looking out the bedroom window in a small Scottish village, hoping for a different life, being a student in the 60s in Aberdeen, working in fashion houses in Italy, and also the people from his life his parents, his family, and artists who have influenced him. All these jumbled thoughts become a narrative, slightly surreal relief carving. Cameron works in lime wood, which is a beautiful wood to work with. It is easy to work yet holds its edge so well. It also turns a lovely warm color over the years. He has exhibited widely from Saatchi Gallery, Center Space Bristol, Bath Royal Literary and Scientific Institution, Portico Gallery in Manchester, Weston Park in Shropshire, Grain Gallery in Sherburne, Cartwright Gallery, Bradford, Tricycle Theatre in London, Salford Art Gallery, Castle Cary Art Gallery, and Icon Gallery. Whew! He also taught in art schools in England for 25 years, finishing up as head of school of art in Burnley, Lancashire, England. Head over to our blog to check out his work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash featured dash artists. And if you would like to submit your work to be featured, you can do that at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. Mandy Antonucci creates beautifully detailed and painterly drawings using colored pencils, ballpoint pens, and sometimes other materials. She shared how drawing was not always easy for her, and she had to put in a lot of practice. She talked about dabbling in a variety of media and the rabbit holes she leaps down when a concept strikes her. It was wonderful hearing about her teaching experience and how she's adapted to this bizarre situation of hybrid teaching. Like some of our other recent guests, Mandy talked about collaborating with her own children and with her students. She talked about how important discussions with her students are to her own art making. And she shared one discussion with a student when he asked her how often she thought about the fact that she's white. And it was a huge learning moment for her as a teacher. She talked about how she stopped class and gave him space to share his experiences while continuing to ask questions as a way to facilitate dialogue. Mandy Antonucci is a visual artist residing in Geneseo, New York. After receiving her BFA in printmaking and BA in art history from Nazareth College, she continued to Rochester Institute of Technology for her MST in art education. Mandy has worked as a high school art teacher at Batavia City Schools since 2005, where she appreciates the ability to foster a love of art with her students while she continues to work on her pop surrealist drawings. Let's hear from Mandy. I am here with Mandy Antonucci, and you have been on my list of people I wanted to have on for a long time. I just love your work. Thank you. I think that means so much to hear. (laughs) So I like to start just with a little bit of background and sort of framing it as how did you become an artist and then also a teacher? 
My background is um, I grew up in Syracuse and my grandfather was actually on the board of directors for the museum in Syracuse called the Everson Museum. Mm -hmm. And so I spent most of my childhood or a lot of time in my childhood going to art shows a lot. And so mm -hmm. my real foundation with art actually comes out of art history. And that's really where my first real love was. And to be honest, during high school and during middle school and high school, I didn't really think about being an artist at all. I was really into sports. I was mm -hmm. just kind of like a sports kid. And I took some art classes, but my main focus was always playing soccer, which you know, kind of worked out for me because I ended up going to college and playing soccer in college. But I really never had a clear idea of what I wanted to do until I got to college. Like my main focus was always, I'm just going to, you know, play soccer and then like see where it leads me. And then, you know, you get into school and they're like, well, you, you know, you need a major. And it sounds so silly now <laughs> because I teach high school kids and I'm like, I always talk to them about decisions and why they're making decisions. And at the time I was like, oh, okay. Like I really like art history. Like, let's do it. And, you know, it, it ended up really working out for me because I just fell deeper in love with art history the more I studied. And then while I was in college, I ended up deciding that, you know, I, I had to take one art class for, for art history. Like I had to take a drawing class and I was, mm -hmm. you know, in this drawing class, I was very mediocre at best. Like I had drawn a little bit in middle school and I had taken a few classes in high school, but I was always just, you know, that kid in school that's maybe got some talent, but they're, you know, they're not really putting their all into it. Mm -hmm. So then I just kind of went through college and had that art history degree. And I decided, you know, like this drawing class was really nice. I had a really great professor and I started getting a little bit more interested in trying to take a little bit more art classes. And before I knew it, I ended up getting a degree in art history and staying an extra year and then getting my BFA in printmaking, which mm -hmm. I had never anticipated because I had no idea what printmaking was uh, prior to even taking my first printmaking class. Right. Um I know, which is so crazy. And to be honest, my my idea was never to be a teacher. I never really had that inclination. And then, you know, just from being in college, you just become friends with a lot of artists and other people in different programs that are similar to yours, like art education. And so, you know, I had a lot of friends who became art teachers. And once I graduated with my bachelor degrees, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? I really wasn't ready to work yet, which sounds silly, but I, at the same time, like I get it when my students talk about it. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to continue on with, with college and it was either getting an MFA or going to get my master's degree in art education. And I chose that path, um, which led me to kind of where I am today. So I guess that decision between master's of art ed versus MFA, what kind of pointed you in that direction? Was it just knowing other people that were doing that? Yeah, it was like my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he had mm. actually gone through the program that I went into at Rochester Institute of Technology two years prior, and he was already an art teacher. And then, you know, because most of his friends were from his original program and at RIT, and then I was just hanging out with a lot of people who just happened to be like first, second year art teachers. And just through conversations with them about, you know, things that they did and I've always really liked helping people. And I I can't even say I was necessarily like really into the teaching aspect. I just liked talking about things that I like to talk about with people who are <laughs> interested, which sounds really kind of silly. But I ended up going that route into RIT. And, you know, I kind of never looked back from there. And that was, geez, I'm in my 17th year teaching now. So wow. Yeah, it's been a long time. I'm on the downward slope now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, you know, we talk about art teachers being sort of on an island, but you've got another art teacher right there at home with you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's, <laughs> you know, we, we joke about stuff because he'll come home and he'd be like, oh, I just had a bad day. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And it's like, we don't have to have that. You know, he doesn't have to explain anything to me and I don't have to explain anything to him in the sense of like what it's like, but you mm -hmm. just, you know, you just get each other. And then subsequently, most of my friends are actually art teachers too. So oh. we have like this nice little community of just people who are all kind of going through the same things, especially in these creative crazy, tumultuous times that we're currently in. So I have a lot of people to bounce ideas off of. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like that's really, really helped you through this? And you oh, know, for do, sure. you 
Do you share lesson plans even? Oh, for sure. Like I am mm-hmm. not one of those people that's like, well, I may, you know, I spent a long time on this lesson plan. I don't want to share. I share mm-hmm. everything. I just feel like transparency and being helpful kind of get us through, you know, the pandemic and whatever mm-hmm. type of learning we're in, we're, we are seriously all in this together. So I have very much of a that feel for what I do in my own classroom and like sharing things and getting ideas because like, you know, I have ideas and other people have ideas, but my ideas aren't always the best. And, um, or, you know, like I could have something that I could give to someone else and someone else could have something they give to me. And I find that relationship really important and makes me kind of a better teacher and educator the fact that I am like so open to sharing and I do have so many people within my immediate community that are really kind of going through similar processes that I am. Do you feel like your teaching also informs your art making at all? Do oh, they sure. go back and forth like that? Yeah, I feel like it's almost kind of like one and the same. And I talk to my students mm-hmm. about this a lot in the sense that like I feel like I wouldn't be so like progressed in my art if I wasn't a teacher, like if Mm -hmm. I didn't have my students, because while I, you know, I like to be sometimes introvert by heart. So I like to be home and I like to be in my studio and I like to like, you know, close the door and put on music and just do my thing. At the same time, I'm very much somebody who likes to talk through ideas and Mm -hmm. I teach AP art and I teach portfolio, which is both mostly seniors and, you know, seniors who are well on their way of being like artists who kind Mm -hmm. of have, you know, an idea of their aesthetic and are really interested in talking about ideas. And the fact that I bring my own ideas in with them and they bring their ideas with me. And it's just that constant conversation that I have with students, like Mm -hmm. not only helps them, but it also really helps me in my own art making. Yeah. And the other crazy thing is that all my references, unless they're my children, I generally don't draw my children anymore, but all my references are my students. Uh, I love that. So all the people that I draw, they're always my students and they get so excited when I'm like, all right, (laughs) like, I really like how, like your hair, like, I like how that looks today. Do you mind if like, you know, we set you up in this, in the reference spot and we can, and they get just, they just get really happy and like to bring that, them into that process is always really rewarding. And then do you take photographs of them and work from photos? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Did you used to work with your like your own children as reference a lot or? Yeah, when probably I kind of moved to solely my students uh, for Mm -hmm. the or for the most part, my students, maybe about four years ago. And prior to that, I was doing a lot with and I wasn't making art as much um, prior to about Mm -hmm. four years ago. So it was mostly just stuff for my my children and I would just draw them a lot or I would draw with them. My son used to like to, you know, scribble on paper and then I would draw like him over top of it and then he would scribble on it. So we would do this partnership together, which is always nice. But I really love that collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I don't think my art would be what it is if I didn't have that aspect of collaborating and talking about it with my students and with my friends, but especially my students, because they play into it a lot because they've got great ideas too. Yeah. So they help kind of decide what those photos are going to look like. Oh, yeah. Like we'll go through and I'll show them like certain artists that I've been into and have that open discussion. And I'll say, you know, like, I'm really into like this idea of lighting. Like, you know, what do we think if I use a red light here and I put like another light, like, you know, what do you think? And I'm constantly Mm -hmm. incorporating them in by asking questions, which not only helps me, but also helps them to kind of facilitate and build their own aesthetic, which is really what as a teacher, I'm most going for, but I want it to be very much of a partnership, especially because I'm dealing with, you know, 18 year olds, they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're adults. And I want them to be able a lot of times to enter into college, you know, with that kind of a a sense of who they are as artists and not just Mm -hmm. like, oh, I I can draw this bottle really well. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, like you've given them some of those skills, but then also giving them the chance to really think and develop their own style, their own aesthetic. Right. And, you know, it's just so important. You know, any teenage kid is all about their, you know, identity, which is so Mm. obvious. But I mean, I have a teenager. I know how it is. Um, (laughs) But it's, you know, just it's really nice to just be able to incorporate um, those two things into my Mm -hmm. classroom and into the practice. Yeah, that sounds so incredible. I'm sitting here like, oh, I wish I was in your classroom. (laughs) It can be chaotic sometimes, but there's a lot of discussion that's happening. There's lots of going down rabbit holes of ideas. There's lots of Googling and YouTube videos. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) 
And have you ever taught younger students? Do you feel like high school is kind of your sweet spot? So when I first started teaching, I mean, I did my student teaching in an elementary Mm -hmm. school, and I always kind of thought that I would gravitate there. And then Mm -hmm. I taught for one year, my first year teaching, I taught in a middle school. And I was like, okay, well, I think I can do that. And to be completely honest, when I first started teaching, I did not feel confident in my drawing skills, my own drawing mm-hmm. skills. I just never, just because I didn't have like a clear drawing background in, in high school and like I was a, a printmaker and I could get away with, you know, doing a little bit more abstract stuff when I was in college that I just didn't feel strong and confident in my drawing abilities. And so I was always really concerned about going and teaching in a high school where like I didn't want them to like think I was like a fraud or think, you know, like I didn't belong to be there. Because when mm-hmm. I was in high school, my drawing teachers were like ridiculously good, like phenomenal drawing at drawing in, in their practice. Mm-hmm. And so I was really apprehensive. And after my first year teaching, I wanted to move to a different district that was a little bit closer to home. And I interviewed for another middle school position and I got it. And I was like, great. I'm so excited. And then like a week before school started, they called me and were like, so we're going to make this a high school position now. There's been some internal movement. And I remember Uh. being like so petrified um, because I just didn't feel like I was good enough, I guess, which I mean, don't we all? But yeah, um, (laughs) so I just kind of, you know, I did it anyway. You know, you put your big girl pants on and fake it till Mm -hmm. you make it sort of thing. But just from the act of obviously, like it's what I tell my students all the time. And I like to bring out examples of like my work over the years and how much it's progressed as a testament to how much art is really a learned discipline. Like it's Mm -hmm. not just talent, you know? And so it actually really worked out for me now. You know, I draw every day, so I'm much more confident in my skills now. But Having those examples, because I took pictures throughout, I I show a a Google slide presentation to my upper level classes every year about my own progression and how, Mm -hmm. you know, to not be kind of like taken off track by their feelings that maybe they're not good enough or that this is difficult. And to know that like, if you try and you keep going with something, like you can definitely learn and become better at it. So it works out in the end, but it definitely was kind of like a mental hurdle. I had to get over it first. Yeah, definitely. I can so relate to that. Even the, you know, I studied printmaking and kind of avoid, still I avoid drawing. (laughs) And, you know, that idea of that it's not just this thing we're born with, it's something we have to practice. I know I relate that to sports when I talk with students and I've heard other teachers do that. I'm curious if your sort of background as an athlete helped with that mindset. For sure. I definitely make that connection a lot in class when I talk about it. But mm-hmm. when I played soccer, I played on the Olympic development team for a very long mm-hmm. time. Wow. And so that was literally my life. Like if someone would have been mm-hmm. uh, defined me in high school, you know, put me on the proverbial, like, where do you fit bookshelf of life? I would have been like that soccer kid. Uh, it was mm-hmm. just kind of like all I did. And so I have very much just in, within me that mentality of just like hard work, hard work, hard work. Like I want to do the best I can mm-hmm. do. And so once soccer was over, that really translated into my art practice where mm-hmm. like I didn't want to feel like I wasn't good at something. Like I don't like that feeling, but I've never mm-hmm. really been somebody to give up. So instead I just like put it into a lot of sketchbooks, like a lot of just, okay, I got to get this. I got to get this. I got to get this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very much similar to being an artist and being a soccer player, which is kind of bizarre to think about, but very true. Yeah, they both take so much practice and and work. For sure. And you mentioned now through this pandemic that you've been really thankful for having your community of other art teachers. What is your teaching situation like right now? Are you online or? Well, no, we are completely hybrid, Mm -hmm. Uh, hybrid synchronous learning, which has been a challenge. I will say it is getting easier. Um, my first month, I felt like I was losing my mind, which I'm sure most uh. people do when doing that. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. You know, it's just bizarre to have to teach synchronously both in class and online. And then mm. at the same time, I, I work in a small city school and um, we have like 
you know, we don't have like the big, big city problems, but we have a lot of um, income inequities. And so when they're at home, I don't always feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable, to be honest with you, telling them to turn on their cameras. Um, Because Mm -hmm. for some kids, that's just not something that they're willing to do. And I have to be respectful of that. And I have to honor that. So Mm -hmm. it is difficult on days when they are distance learning to be able to like, you know, see what they're doing, because we do something which is obviously such a visual medium, and to be teaching Mm -hmm. something visual, but then I can't all the time give kids feedback, because they don't feel comfortable kind of like revealing, you know, even the background that they have behind them to other students in the classroom. So that has definitely been a challenge. And there's been some like workarounds that I've had to do with that. But I feel like it is getting easier maybe a little bit. I think the weirdest part is being quarantined because we do have a lot of contract tracing here in New York and New York takes contract tracing fairly seriously. So I've been quarantined two times so far and it's very weird because when I'm quarantined, I'm teaching from home, but I'm like zooming into my class that's in my class, half of Mm. them. And then the other half are at home and it's just like the most bizarre experience which I never thought I'd be able to do. And it's definitely been challenging, but I think, you know, I'm just trying to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. And I've also kind of realized that this year is not necessarily about art making, which sounds crazy, but I mean, it's more or less, I'm meeting the students emotionally before I do anything else, you know, making, checking in with them about like how they're doing. Like, you know, if somebody's grandma is not doing well, like asking about that and, you know, I know somebody's having trouble with the fact that they can't play sports right now and that's really weighing them down. And then somebody else is having trouble because, you know, I know that their family's having trouble finding food. And so really checking in on those things prior to the art making has really been a goal of mine this year. I mean, we make art, don't get me wrong, but I think it's really important to kind of meet kids where they're at and be a little bit understanding of situations at this time. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I love how you put it that this year is not really about the art making. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you also mentioned some workarounds. I'm curious, just especially for other teachers that are listening, like, yes, I'm in the same, same boat. <laughs> like, so what, I think kind of like my saving thing, this, I think what's really difficult, especially when you're talking with kids who are virtual is to make sure, and, and you know, when I can't have them turn on their screen, uh, screens all the time to make sure like, are you working or are you in bed? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are you currently doing? Like, are you right. there? Am I, you know, how is this going? So one of the major things that I've done, which I found to be helpful is I, I use Google Slides, and so I share it out on Classroom. We use Classroom as our main modality for distance learning. And on Classroom, I'll put a Google Slide up and make a copy for everyone, and it's called their Virtual Progress Journal. So everyday students that are virtual, they have to like fill in one of the slides with a picture of what they worked on, and then Mm -hmm. any questions that they have with me or anything that they feel like I need to, they need to work on or any tips I would have, and then they have to like do a quick uh, three to four sentence reflection on how they feel like it's going. And Mm -hmm. while it's actually a ton of work for me, because I have to go on every day and just read over those and give feedback, it's a really great way that I found to kind of keep kids accountable and like make those connections when Mm -hmm. kids feel really nervous about like just even unmuting on a Zoom call, which is frustrating, but I totally get it at the same time. And how many students do you have? Usually, like, I'll have, like, 30 kids in a class, mm-hmm. a lot. It's way more than I started with, but our program mm-hmm. started getting really big, and we need another art teacher, but we just haven't been able to get them, so we've been kind of overloaded. But in a classroom, mm-hmm. I can't have any more than 15 in a class physically due to distance, um, mm-hmm. due to the six-feet mandate. So I could have, like, 15 in the class and then maybe 10 usually online at the same time. Mm-hmm. And toggling between it was really crazy at Uh, first, but I'm like weirdly like just used to it now. So you have, you know, do you have it 
Zoom set up at in your classroom that yep. you're so I toggle between, connected. Yep, yeah, I have. So I have my large. Uh, we have a Promethean board, so or a Record mm-hmm. X board, so that's up. So and I have my laptop and I have my desktop. So I have two screens in relation with the Record X board as well. And so I have everybody up on Zoom on my Record X board, and I can see them on my laptop, and then I can communicate and look at progress journals on my Chromebook and. Mm. there's a lot happening and it was really overwhelming at first, but I really feel like I'm kind of getting the hang of it now. Mm -hmm. I can never have subs though. I just feel honestly really terrible for subs. Like whenever they have to come in because it's so overwhelming, I just, you know, I feel terrible, but I'm getting the hang of it. We're getting the hang of it. Right. And then as soon as you've really got it, it's all going to change. Oh my God. I'm sure. It's like just when I get something on the administration, but I can, you know, I actually have a really great administration. My administration Mm -hmm. has been nothing but helpful in this process um, with trying to give us like professional development and learning different Mm -hmm. ways to kind of handle the classroom and approach uh, distance learning. And it has been really beneficial. Like I feel like I'm getting some good ideas and it's working as best as it can work when you don't have kids in the classroom, which obviously Mm -hmm. I would prefer. And then you mentioned, you know, the equity issues and, you know, students that are just dealing with so much and the disparity between students. Mm -hmm. How do you, I mean, you talked about a little bit of not requiring cameras on and all of that. Are there any other things that you do to kind of combat those issues and combat racism in the classroom and in the schools? I think what's really just important is holding space for students. And what I kind of mean by that is I tend to just allow freedom of speaking minds and knowing Mm -hmm. that I don't know everything that they're dealing with, like on a personal level. And I remember I had this one student, I don't know, this must have been like 10 years ago, and he was a Black student and he was one of my favorites. And we were just having a conversation And I was talking about, like, I would just been like, was walking around on main street or something like that. And he's like, he's like, oh, I don't, I don't don't do that. I was like, what do you mean you don't do that? He's like, oh, I can't do that at night. And I was like, and at the time I didn't, like, it didn't, you know, 10 years ago didn't really resonate with me at first. And I was like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, can you tell me more about that? Like, why do you think that? He's like, miss, do you think about how much you're white? And I was like, he's like, do Mm -hmm. you think about the fact that you're white? And I was like, to be completely honest, I, I that's, that's not something I normally think about. He's like, Miss, I think about that I'm black every day. And mm-hmm. that's something that I need to think about when I'm out and about. And I was like, oh, man, like, can you tell me more about that? And I remember just stopping class because he, he was a kid who would not feel bad talking about it to everyone and mm-hmm. just kind of holding space for him and, and allowing him to just have his moment of talking about that. And then it facilitates more discussion. And when I have students like that, or even discussions like that, my role is more of like a facilitator and and a question asker. And so Mm -hmm. if I can ask the right questions, and I really want kind of kids to have the dialogue or students to have the dialogue and be able to talk freely amongst themselves, which Mm -hmm. I think has been really beneficial, especially in these times after, you know, the insurrection at the Capitol and having Mm -hmm. good discussions around that to even, you know, like Amanda Gorham's speech during the inauguration. Mm -hmm. We've had really good discussions about that in the past couple of days, just at school and about the importance of her voice, especially at this time, especially for young black female students. So I think it's just important because just to hold space, I guess, just to hold space, mm-hmm. allow them to have that have that talk and have that ability to kind of get their feelings out uh, in a respectful way. It's always, mm-hmm. I always, you know, as long as it's respectful, it's conversation that's worth having, even if it means like we have to put a little bit on hold, whatever mm-hmm. we may be drawing in class. Yeah, giving that space and giving them a chance to share their experiences. For sure. Yeah, that's so powerful. I remember that. Like, I remember when he told me that, when he asked me that question of how much do I think that I'm the fact that I'm white. And I was like, oh, man, like that really put it in perspective to me. And Mm -hmm. it was like one of those times where you're like, wow, this student really just gave me a a lesson today. And I've carried that with me for the last decade. Yeah, that's a huge, that's such a a strong question for him to ask you. Yeah. And it was like, and respectful too. Like, you know what I mean? And I was happy that, you know, we can have that conversation in class. And that totally shifts your perspective too. Oh, for sure. Thinking about, yeah. 
I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference, and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram. It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is Pots Art, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. I would love to get into some of your own artwork. And I love how, you know, we did talk about how they're connected and the way that you're involving students in your work. Maybe before we go too much further, could you describe your work? Yeah. So my work primarily deals with kind of like the connections that we can make between contradictions. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in the idea of a contradiction about two things that feel as though they do not relate to one another and then Mm -hmm. how there's underlying connections between those two things. And then there's also an aspect of what kind of control we have over those connections that we can make between Mm -hmm. two opposing forces. So that's kind of the concept that I'm always coming back to. Primarily, I draw like I'm not I'm not really a painter. I will paint on occasion, but I love color pencils. Color pencils has always kind of been my go to medium mm-hmm. more so than anything else. But that isn't to say I like dabble in everything. And I think that's something else that happens when you're a teacher, especially because I have to teach so many different materials that I'm constantly forced to be using different materials that I maybe Mm -hmm. wouldn't use. So while I like color pencils the most, you know, like I also love a good ballpoint pen and I'll do some watercolor and I'll do like regular micron pen. And, you know, I've been, I've done some oil painting, but it always comes back to that idea of contradiction and mostly I'm more figurative artist where it's, it's either my students or I like to draw hands. I always go to hands. Mm -hmm. Hands are always my favorite thing to kind of, show the symbolism and the communication that hands can have um, to the viewer through just like the way that they're placed or what they're around or the colors. So kind of like the hidden symbolism that gears us towards the idea of contradictions and the connections between them. Yeah, I completely see that. And I have a kind of semi-selfish technical question. So I have a friend who was asking about archival ballpoint pen. Do you have any ideas about? Yeah, so there's the NS1 pen. So there's this pen artist by the name of Nicholas Sanchez, which is like, Mm -hmm. he's phenomenal. I don't, he does like portraits and these tiny portraits, which are ridiculously realistic, but Mm -hmm. he makes his own pen called the NS1 pen, which is a ballpoint pen. It's like, I think it's like a $10 pen, but it comes with three different tips on it. It's kind of like, you remember those old pens from like middle school that were like blue and white. And then they have Mm -hmm. the color. It's kind of like that, but it's Uh, just black and they have different tip sizes, but that one is by far my favorite. Awesome. We were kind of scouring the internet, like, are there any archival options that are still ballpoint? Yep, that one. (laughs) That's awesome. It's the only one I found, at least. Yeah, it seemed like there were a few companies making archival pens, but then their ballpoint versions were not archival. (laughs) What about archival ink means, I don't know, there's no ballpoint version. (laughs) Right. I love the hands in your work and just exactly like you were saying, the way they communicate. I mean, they can communicate any type of emotion. And I really, Mm -hmm. I'm really into symbolism. That's always been when I was 
going back to my art history degree, what I was always kind of drawn to is mm. what a lot of people don't like. Like I really, truly love Baroque art and I really love like the Dutch still lives. Like those are my mm. favorite where they're just look at first glance as if it's just some objects on a table, but each object has a certain meaning behind it and it tells a story. Mm. And that is really something that I've kind of taken into my own work about the idea of kind of leaving an open-ended narrative, but having mm. something that it's communicating to the viewer, but then allowing the viewer to kind of take their own personal experiences and kind of come up with their own narrative based on whatever mm -hmm. they've been through when they look at my art. And I'm looking at some of your series right now, the recent Piece Together series looks like it's also collage. Yeah. So that's a funny thing about when you look at my art, I just kind of am all over the place a little bit. I admittedly, like I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was in middle school and I'm just a very all over the place kind of person, especially when it comes to, um, which is, can kind of be great, but it is also like a superpower in the fact that I've like never experienced uh, artist block. Like I don't even understand mm -hmm. how people do sometimes, but like, <laughs> but the, the same sense that I'm, I get bored very easily doing one specific thing. So I like to do a lot of series is it like a lot of different series at once, mm -hmm. just because it kind of fills my brain and makes me feel better just to kind of like be going in different directions. It's weirdly where I feel the most comfortable. So mm -hmm. yeah, like I do some collage stuff and then I did stuff with like just all black and white patterns and people will look at the two of them and be like, how are those even related? Yeah. <laughs> But it's just, they both all deal with the same general idea. I just yeah. like to kind of hit it from different viewpoints because it really allows me to kind of really connect with what I'm trying to say and at the same time, like, feel the need to be doing a lot of different things. Right. And I see that I see a visual connection between them, even when they are like distinct series. Yeah. I mean, pattern always kind of comes mm -hmm. into my work as well. I really like patterns as a symbolic representation of like the breakdown of control because mm -hmm. you know patterns are predictable but when that predictability kind of goes out the window kind of the control and knowing what's coming next kind of goes with it so patterns as a is a general motif throughout all of my artwork that I like to incorporate mm -hmm. in some way and now with the recent pieces on circles does the circle have a meaning for you i just love the idea of just a full circle in general mm -hmm. and coming to terms with just that idea of something becoming full circle, especially mm -hmm. I'm talking a lot now about like platonic solids. I'm using those in a lot of my work. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like the idea of the platonic solid and how they are a symbol for, you know, taking something that's very math oriented, but then also it's a symbol for nature. And that idea of like how we as, you know, individuals kind of are within this universe of all these possibilities and all these different things going on and the choices we make, which mm -hmm. will lead us down to different roads. So powerful. Oh, thank you. And then I also, I know that you created a little while ago, you started this Heroes for Her oh, yes. project. Which is series. so funny because people look at that and they're like, oh. you did that too? That doesn't even make any sense. But I have a 13-year-old daughter and she, you know, as any mom with a 13-year-old daughter, you know, you want them to have good role models. And mm -hmm. I didn't want her to have role models that were just, you know, like YouTubers or something. So <laughs> um, it was always really important to me to have conversations with her about feminism and mm -hmm. and have her have strong and clear role models of people in this world that are doing things that are change makers and that are doing mm -hmm. things that you know I would love if she would emulate or even take something from. So I'm kind of like just me wanting to give her like a friendly little reminder as a to hang something in her room. Um, and it started with my portrait that I did uh, two years ago, maybe three years ago now, I don't even remember, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I've always been mm -hmm. kind of a super fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So mm -hmm. I actually took my daughter down to to the Supreme Court uh, four years ago when we sat in on a case to to kind of watch, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan and Justice Boyer at the time and all you know, all the justices just kind of I wanted her to have that experience, so I ended up making her this portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then on half of our, I, I put one of her quotes, and I never actually anticipated putting it on my Instagram. 
because it's not like anything I would normally do. And I ended up putting it up just like last minute, kind of like, oh, I did this thing for my daughter for, I gave it to her on Valentine's Day, I think. And it weirdly just kind of blew up, which I wasn't anticipating at all. And it got shared a bunch. And then, you know, I had so many people asking for prints and um, and I was like, oh, really? Like, (laughs) I wasn't, that was not even my intention ever. And I've kind of continued on with that series, but the series for me is very personal. Um, mm-hmm. It's very much about my relationship with my daughter, Harper. It's it's about us and it's about a conversation between us. And mm-hmm. it's about, I have her now pick everyone I do. So mm-hmm. we have conversations and then she chooses the female that I want, that she would like a portrait of. And it's very much mm-hmm. her choice. And I like to very much honor that, to be her choice. Because I get a lot of people asking me to do certain people next. And, that, and it's not about that for me. Like mm-hmm. sometimes almost the business side of things when it comes to that particular series mm-hmm. is something that, I don't know, I don't know the correct words for it, but it's like, I like to keep it close. Like I like mm-hmm. to very much keep it mine and hers. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not something that I want to open up for other people to make choices of or like, I want it very much to be about Harper and about like my relationship with her and, and, and her things that she, you know, what she chooses. So it's kind of like this weird series that I've never really anticipated becoming the biggest thing, but I get so many people, you know, interested in it, which is also great at the same time. I don't want to seem like I'm not grateful because I, I very much am grateful for the interest that people have put into that series. It's just a kind of got a bizarre storyline in the beginning. And I see just the amount of work that you're making and still teaching, you know, full time that I also see there being this need for balance, you know, not putting all your time into like, oh, this person requested this new drawing. (laughs) Yeah, I generally don't do commissions anymore. I very rarely Mm -hmm. I'll do commissions around Christmas time, but it's usually only for family friends. I'm at a place in my life where I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. So mm-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with it. I just very much hate drawing something that somebody else wants me to draw. It's right. like, oh God, it, it like really gets at me. So I generally don't do that. I mean, I do have some clients who are more than happy just to buy whatever I make and like that is great. Mm-hmm. But you know, otherwise I generally don't do commissions. I just want to do what I want to do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it just makes me happy. And then how do you seek out show opportunities? Are you, you know, like applying for open calls or do you kind of, you just have relationships at this point? I have some good relationships at this point with Mm -hmm. um, some galleries. Like I have a solo show coming up in April and then I have another one in July. And those people approached me just because we know certain people and I've done shows before. So that's Mm -hmm. always nice. Um, I will on occasion apply for open calls, um, but that's not always like my main focus. But, you know, like, it's just, we've built like this really nice community. You know, I live a little bit south of Rochester, New York, and we, it's a small city, but it's very much like once you get into like the art scene, like everyone kind of knows everyone Mm because it's not too large that, that you don't. And I'm also part of an artist group called the Arena Group, and it's a culmination of artists and we'll do shows like as a group. Not so much as much anymore due to the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, every two months, there would be a group show, which was always nice to go out and make opportunities that way, make connections. And then are you like gearing up for two solo shows coming up? How are you kind of managing time alongside teaching in this new strange way. <laughs> I feel like I feel like with I finally kind of like in the last month or two kind of hit my stride with teaching. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I kind of understand what to do. Like I really wasn't making much work at all in the beginning of the school year. And then over the summer I I dealt with um I don't know if you know what vestibular migraines are, but they mm-hmm. like kind of put me out for about four months where I couldn't make anything and that was like world's uh-huh. worst. But I kind of hit my stride where I feel really comfortable with my school situation. Like I have mm-hmm. my lessons. I figured out how to adapt them for the synchronous learning. And also like I teach a lot. You know, I have an AP and I have a portfolio class. And a lot of times it's not like I'm dealing with a lot of classroom management, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. Um, you know, I don't really have to yell at people to sit down as much. You know, like it's very much of a thing where they'll work and I'll also work on my work at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of opportunity to kind of work while I'm at school, um, mm-hmm. which really helps my students. Like I'll demo on my own work for whatever I'm doing to show students how to use a certain material. But mm-hmm. 
I just, we, it's not like we go anywhere. There's no sports. So like my kids can't go play sports and it's just, I come home and go in my studio and my kids kind of come with me and my husband's recording studios, you know, he's a musician is like literally the next one over. So we all just kind of go and down and we do our own creative things. And it's just kind of how we've integrated it into our life. So I'm just always have to be making, it makes me feel better. It's kind of like the Uh, way I deal with everything. Yeah. I'm the same that art making is sort of a therapy. Oh, for sure. And then would you have any tips for artists, I guess, on either the business side of it or just, you know, being able to create so much work? I think I'm honestly terrible at the business side of it. (laughs) I'm being honest, like I'm not someone to give advice on that. Um, Mm -hmm. My husband is very good at business at that sense, because as a musician, he's played in a band for like years and years and years. He's really good at like marketing and like getting Mm -hmm. himself out there where that just does not come natural to me. Like that Mm -hmm. is, it is not my thing. And I feel weird about it and awkward. And a lot of the times like he kind of will like take the reins and like just kind of Mm -hmm. help me along the way, which I really appreciated. So I'm like not good at the business side. I'm really Uh. actually not good (laughs) at it at all. But in terms of just being an artist, you just gotta, you know, kind of find what you love and don't be nervous when it leads you in other directions when it's, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I feel a lot of times that my work, because it is kind of goes in so many different directions visually. I feel sometimes like that's not correct because there's so many artists where all their work looks very cohesive and mine just doesn't, mm-hmm. but it's what works for me, even though it's not necessarily always like the expected thing. So mm-hmm. I think just the knowledge and knowing that you can be kind of going in different directions and to kind of follow leads of curiosity and like Mm. if it's okay to be curious about something new and to like follow that tether until you find what you're looking for. Oh, I love that. Because sometimes that will, you know, that tether will take you somewhere totally new, but totally amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's scary sometimes because you're like, Mm -hmm. but I'm, you know, I'm for color pencil, like I should be doing Mm -hmm. bright color pencil, but, um, you know, taking another way sometimes and that can be equally as beautiful. Yeah. And then I'm so impressed with how painterly your work is, knowing that it's all these, you know, meticulous drawings. I love the detail. I love to get lost in detail, Mm -hmm. which is funny because most artwork that I want to buy from other artists is not realistic, Mm -hmm. which is bizarre. But for me, it's almost like I can't be loose. I do have like certain sketchbooks. I'm very much of a sketchbook person. So I have certain sketchbooks that have themes to them. So I have a sketchbook where it's like my theme is loose. So Mm -hmm. um, I kind of like force myself to, but in my own like finished practice, I always want to be super duper tight, as tight as possible. Well, it's interesting too, how you said that it's different from the work you want to buy from other artists. Yep. You know, I feel like we touched on earlier, like my drawing skills are just not there at all. (laughs) Um, But I'm so drawn to, drawn to, little pun, (laughs) not intended, (laughs) your work. And, you know, I'm usually actually not excited about figurative work, but I feel like there's a just you've hit a balance of this sort of open ended narrative, like you were talking about, and some level of abstraction with, you know, the different elements that are combined in your images, and then also having the figure in there. Oh, thank you. That's really kind of what I'm going for. I I love the, you know, the molding together of two things that don't normally go together. So thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, kind of starting to wrap up. I have a few just like get to know you questions. Sure. Um, this one's very broad. So what are you curious about? Oh, that is Could a be. good question. Yeah. I, I'm like a rabbit hole person. Like I, <laughs> it's actually funny. My husband will make fun of me sometimes because I keep a bullet journal. And at the end of every month, I keep a list of all the weird rabbit holes I've gone down. Like <laughs> what like was I interested in in that month? Just because I get really, I'm a questioner by nature. So mm-hmm. I like to go down topics. And then those topics always kind of foster my art making. Lately, I've just been really kind of like taking from the platonic solids and the ideas of, mm-hmm. you know, the universe and how everything is connected and that the idea of energy. And mm-hmm. um, I've been really kind of like researching things on like thermodynamics and that the idea mm-hmm. that energy can't be created nor destroyed in, you know, like how we integrate with energy all the time. And so I've been 
really down the rabbit holes about human design and manifestation. And I really love tarot cards. I'm not like good Mm. at it. I'm not sure like (laughs) what they all mean, but I love the symbolism behind tarot cards. So I've been kind of going down the rabbit hole on that. And I actually did a really great project from that with my portfolio students, my 11th and 12th graders, where we did the history of tarot. I told them kind of like the history of tarot, which is not, you know, a lot of people think it's like an occultish thing, but it's the history behind it is not. It's actually directly from a game of kind of like similar to bridge. Mm. And then it kind of changed with the incorporation of the images that were put on them, like in the late 1800s, which I found really interesting that the whole idea of tarot changed once they started putting pictures on it. And then I had every student draw their own tarot card and then like they drew it from the deck and then they had to create an artwork based off the concept of the tarot card, not Mm. remaking the tarot card, but the idea of the Mm. concept. So I really, you know, I kind of like went down the rabbit hole on that whole idea of really like symbolism behind that idea of like energy Mm -hmm. that incorporates and kind of goes around us in the everyday. And I love how you're again, connecting it to your teaching and, you know, sharing that with your students. Oh, yeah. My students always know when I'm down. Like, I'll be like, guys, I was researching something. They're like, oh, here she goes. (laughs) Okay, fun little question. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Hmm, Chipotle all the time, every Mm. day. If I could (laughs) literally live off Chipotle, I would. And I just love a salad. That sounds really boring, but I just love me a salad with as much guacamole as possible. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Avocado. The best thing ever. Yep. I just wanted to give you space to thank or give a shout out to anyone that's kind of helped you along the way. Yeah, obviously, I mean, my family and my students are always mm-hmm. big helps to me, but I have I have had a friend for like 25 years named Jill, who's mm-hmm. also an art teacher and has been also enjoys a good rabbit hole or two. So um, <laughs> has always been there to kind of bounce ideas off of and whether mm-hmm. they're teaching or whether they're art making ideas. And like she's been really kind of like integral to my my process mm-hmm. and my progression as both like a person and an artist and a teacher. So my heart goes out to her. Amazing. And then last thing, where can our listeners connect with you online? So I'm on Instagram at Mandy with an I um, underscore Antonucci. And then I also have my website, which is just MandyAntonucci.com. Awesome. And I will link to both of those. So they'll be in the show notes and you can go check out this amazing work. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for taking the time and for sharing so much with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.